Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. How is a person saved? Where does religious authority lie? What is the church? And what constitutes essential Christian living? Those four questions were the cause of the Reformation. And those four questions were answered with the five solas. Sola fide, faith alone. Sola gratia, by grace alone. Sola scriptura, by scripture alone. Solus Christus, by Christ alone. Soli de gloria, to the glory of God alone. It's been said that when we talk about the Reformation, we need to be mindful of the fact that it was a tragic necessity. And while the official Reformation began in 1517, when Martin Luther nailed those 95 theses to the church door at Wittenberg, he began a movement, and if we are to understand it correctly, we should refer to it not as the Protestant Reformation, but the Protestant Reformations. It is ongoing. It has never ended. And it is not something to be celebrated. It is something to be commemorated. Because it was a tragic necessity. By the 1500s, the church and the kings in Europe were very cozy with one another. Certainly, the kings mounted up the armies and they provided for the defense of the people. But the day-to-day lives of the people were overseen by the clergy. And they were both very, very powerful. In fact, by the 1500s, many people had stopped going to church because they saw the corruption. And some saw that the teachings had strayed from biblical truth. Martin Luther was not the first one to try to correct the church. He was, however, the only one that had access to a printing press. And it was the printing press that allowed the Reformation, Reformations, to really take off. Now, in 
October, October 31st, that famed day that Martin nailed his 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg is the day that people celebrate the Protestant Reformations, and we acknowledge that as well. But this day, on the first day of February, we like to talk a little bit about the Scottish Reformation. The Reformation came a little late to Scotland. In fact, it was the last country in Europe really to embrace the teachings of Martin Luther. And what were those teachings? His 95 theses spoke against errant teaching in the church. And what were those errant teachings? Well, that would take much longer than I have this morning. But suffice it to say that the five solas really do answer the question. It is by faith alone in Jesus Christ. Faith is what saves a person. Because of the grace that has been given to us through Jesus Christ. And we know this because the scriptures are the first and final authority in our lives over all areas of life and faith. It is through Christ's work alone on the cross that we are justified by God. And all four of these come together for the glory of God. Now, we would like to think that uh, the Protestant Reformation was a new thing. When in reality, God's people have been in the process of reforming themselves from the very beginning. You'll remember that when Moses went up to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, by the time he got down, the people had already turned away, created a golden calf, take us back to Egypt. And Moses threw those tablets down and became the first person to break all Ten Commandments at once. And what were the charges given to the, to the prophets in the Old Testament? But to call people back to the covenant that they had agreed to enter into at the foot of the mountain. Come back, come back. And when it becomes apparent that we will not come back for more than a little bit, God sends His Son. We talked about the incarnation last week and what it means that Jesus is fully human, fully God. If you have your Bibles, open them to John. We're still in chapter 1, but we are moving beyond verse 18 today. In those first 18 verses, John makes it very, very clear who Jesus is. Fully God, fully human. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. No one has ever seen God but the one and only who came to show us the Father who now sits at the right hand of the Father. And then we have the baptizer who is the witness 
to this event, to this incarnation, to the person of Jesus Christ. And in verse 19, we receive his testimony. Gospel according to John, chapter 1, verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, then, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered them, no. And finally, they said, well, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied, in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the way for the Lord. Now some of the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the, the thongs of whom, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. Earlier we noted that John said that he came as a witness to the light. And here the baptizer in his own words says, I'm not any of these people that you think I am. And who are they referring to? The Old Testament is rife with references to a coming Messiah. Are you the Christ? Christ. The word Christ in Greek, Christ, is Hebrew, Messiah. Words are the same. Are you the Christ? No. Are you the prophet? No. The prophet, Moses. Moses had said, the day will come when the Lord will raise up a prophet like me from among you. Listen to him. Is that who you are? Are you the prophet that Moses said? No, I'm not the prophet. Elijah, are you Elijah? You'll remember the narrative of Elijah's last days on earth. Elisha wanted his mantle. And Elijah said, if you're there when I'm taken, it's yours. But be careful what you ask for. And in a whirlwind, chariots of fire coming down out of heaven. And Elijah is swooped up, never to be seen again. There is no record in the Bible of Elijah's death. And so to this day, the Jews wait for Elijah to come back. At Passover, there's always an empty space at the table set for Elijah. And at one point during the ceremony, a child not goes and opens the front door to see if Elijah's there. Are you the Christ? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. Well, who are you? And John says, I'm nobody. And he is everything. Because he is greater than I am. Back in the day, you could not 
ask a slave to untie your shoes, walking around in sandals in the Middle East. Some of you have been to the Middle East. A lot of dust, a lot of dirt, a lot of rocks. Your feet were filthy. You had to take care of your own feet. You could not ask a servant to take your shoes off. And here, John the baptizer says, I'm not even worthy to do that. Because you see, he recognizes that the one who comes after him is greater than him because he was before him. He points to the promised one who is the Messiah, who is the prophet, who is fully God and fully human. And he's the one that we need to pay attention to. Who are these people who are asking the questions? The, 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 the Levites and the Pharisees, they were institutional people. And the institution had gotten a little full of itself. And we don't want anybody doing anything that we don't authorize. Who told you you could baptize? And what are you doing baptizing anyway? Baptism, baptism at this time was a ritual that was reserved for, for Gentiles who were converting to Judaism. And here's John the baptizer calling the Jews to come and be baptized. Well, what are you doing? And who gave you this authority? He responds by going to Scripture. He responds by going to Scripture. I'm just a voice. A voice of one crying in the wilderness, make way for the Lord. I am not the Christ. I am not the light. But I am a witness to the light. He takes them back to the scriptures. He takes them back to the God who covenants. He points to Jesus. And at this point, he recognizes, probably better than most, that it's faith alone, grace alone, scripture alone, Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. As I said earlier, in the 15th century, the church and the state were both very, very corrupt. There were some appearances of reform, but it just wasn't happening. Martin Luther did not want to break away from the church. He wanted to reform the church from within. Four years, four years, four years after he nailed his theses to the wall at Wittenberg, he was called to the Diet of Worms, where he was told to recant or be excommunicated. He said, I can't recant. You guys have made too many mistakes. And to go against Scripture is neither right nor safe. So I cannot, because my conscience is held captive to the Word of God. Later on, they called him to uh, a council. And had he gone, he probably too would have been arrested and executed as a heretic. His supporters kidnapped him. And he hid him, 
hid away in a castle where he wrote voluminously and, uh, and, and married and had children. It took about a decade for the Reformation ideas to reach Scotland. And he came through a young man by the name of Patrick Hamilton. Patrick Hamilton was about 22 years old when he went to Europe and found himself studying under Luther. And he brought these ideas back to Scotland. But he not only, he spoke out against the abuses, and there were abuses in the church. It is suggested that half, half of the illegitimate children in Scotland in the 16th century were offspring of priests and bishops and cardinals. So he's speaking against the abuses of the church, but he's also tackling the teachings that are not biblical, like the sale of indulgences. How is a person saved? Well, you can buy this indulgence and you will be saved. They raised a lot of money doing that. He caught the attention of a cardinal by the name of Baton, who invited him in to have a conversation. He was promptly arrested and burned at the stake. He was 24 years old. 24 years old. That would have been about 1528. It would take another couple of decades. It fomented beneath the surface. And of course, there was much intrigue between Scotland and France and England. But a Scot by the name of George Wishart came on the scene in the 1540s, picking up the torch. And a nephew of the original cardinal went after him. And he dodged them for a while, but they finally cornered him. His student, by the name of John Knox, said, I will fight with you. And George said, no, you won't. There will be no fight. Trust me on this one. Run. Live to preach another day. And he did. And Wishart was captured. He also was burned at the stake. That wouldn't have been about 1546. Yeah, in response to his murder, the castle was stormed. Blood for blood. A group burst into the bedchambers of the bishop and dispatched him to his eternal reward. The castle was sieged. There's some rumor that the English were behind the assassination. They called out to the English to come and save them, but the French got there first. Mary, Queen of Scott. They released, they, 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 they surrendered themselves, but they were arrested. John Knox was among them. And... Uh, 
he served as a galley slave uh, for the shrimp, for the, for the French for many years. Once he was released, he went and studied with John Calvin. Back to the Bible. The five solas. And he brought these teachings first to northern England and then to Scotland. Some people say that John Knox, although a powerful, powerful prayer, and sometime I would invite you to look up online the dialogues between John Knox and Mary, Queen of Scot. There is a two-person play waiting to be written. It is hysterical. They hated each other. Mary, Queen of Scots, said she feared the prayers of John Knox more than any army in the world. And in 1560, an agreement was reached, and Scotland became Protestant. And the church organized itself around Presbyteries. It was not a top-down or a bottom-up organization, but one that was mutually supportive of both clergy and lay. Very much a model that was picked up by the United States in the three branches of government. And by the way, the only clergy to sign the Declaration of Independence was a Presbyterian minister. But behind the Reformation stood the questions what does it take for a person to be saved? Where does religious authority lie? What is the church? And what constitutes essential Christian living? We are saved by Christ alone. To trust in the completed work of Christ upon the cross. Religious authority rests first and foremost in the scriptures. We talked about that the first Sunday of the year. Why do we believe and hold on to the Bible as our authority first and final in all areas of life and faith? Because of the external authorities that influence our lives, it is the one that helps us to understand the other. And those two external authorities are the Bible and our culture. I do not want my culture to supersede the authority of Scripture in my life. It points, it points to Jesus and His work on the cross. Next week, we'll start looking into the atonement of Christ. And there are many atonement theories out there. However, as far as I'm concerned, they all fall apart if you take the cross out. We'll look at that in more depth starting next week. Who is the church? How many churches in Coronado? One. How many in San Diego? One. How many in the world? One church, many different worshiping communities, but only one church because the church is people. We don't go to church, we are the church. 
Now we've lost sight of that because the church has become an institution. And as a friend of mine once said, there are no Christian institutions, not one. Only Christians who are involved in institutions. And what we bring to those institutions is our own humanity, our own sinfulness, our own flaws. And rather than have the hard conversations with one another to work through our difficulties, we divide and split. And the disunity of the church today is our greatest scandal. When we allow the institution to hijack the name church. And then they give themselves inordinate power. You will do things my way or you will pay a price. How come we have not figured out how to sit down and have a conversation and agree to disagree without being disagreeable? It is the hard thing. I get it. But it is the necessary thing. Now, we have what we have. There was a day, there was a day, probably... 50 years ago, maybe longer, where if you took average people from a congregation and you put them in a room and you put a Catholic and you put a Baptist and you put a Presbyterian and you put a Methodist and you put an Episcopalian and you put a Lutheran and you put them in the room and said, tell each other why you are what you are, they would have had meaningful dialogue. They would not have agreed. But they would have had meaningful dialogue because they understood the nuances of those denominational differences. I suggest that today we've lost that. And I've told people so many times that you cannot tell what's on the inside of a sanctuary by the name that hangs on the outside of a sanctuary. People have come to me and said, Pastor, we're moving to the East Coast. Can you give me a recommendation for a worshiping community? No, I can't because I don't live there. But what I can do is, is, is give you some instruction. Here's what you do. You go, you show up, and you listen on a Sunday morning. And if the pastor is preaching from the Word, if the pastor is pointing to Jesus Christ, if the pastor is faithfully proclaiming the gospel, then make an appointment. What? Yeah, 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 make an appointment. Sit down in the pastor's office. Ask him any question you want. Ask them what they believe about the Bible. Ask them what they believe about salvation. Ask them what they believe about marriage. Ask them what they believe about baptism. Ask them what they believe about communion. Listen to their answers. I can't do that. Oh, you must do that. I delight when someone does that for me. I love to sit down with people and tell them what I believe. And I start with my five non-negotiables, and you know what they are. I've already talked about them. Five non-negotiables. 
If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, I don't understand how you could reject that Jesus is fully God and fully human. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, I don't know how you could say that the Bible is not the authoritative word of God in my life first and last. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, I don't know how you could deny his sacrifice on the cross. He died. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, I don't know how you can deny that three days later he rose from the grave. And I don't know how, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you can deny the promise that Christ will one day return. Five fundamentals. We find ourselves, as a culture, and even as a church, institutionally speaking, drifting away from those foundational pillars with a militancy and an anger and a volatility that I've never seen in my life. And so for those who constitute the, constitute the true church, and what is that? People who are set apart for the gospel. Set apart for the gospel. Sanctified. Sanctifying. Justified. By Jesus Christ. Remember that forensic declaration. You are justified. I'm almost done. <laughs> the day is coming when Christ will return. But until such a day, we need to be those witnesses. We need to be the ones that point to Christ, recognizing that he is greater than we are. We cannot allow the institution to stand in our way, nor can we allow ourselves to stand in the way. My theology is wrong somewhere. There, I said it. So is yours. And if you can tell me where my theology is wrong using the Bible, I will be all over that like the proverbial rat on a Cheeto. Come talk to me, because I want to know. I want to know, because as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And if we come together and we agree that everything we do points to Jesus Christ for his glory and his honor, because he's why we are here now, then we'll have great conversations. We may not agree on everything, but let the reformations continue as we challenge each other, as we wrestle with God's truth as we honestly pursue it with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I believe, I believe that we honor the spirit of those who have gone before us. And we will find ourselves smack dab in the middle of living in God's kingdom every day. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. Through Jesus Christ alone. Where lies the religious authority? In Scripture alone. What is the church? We are the church. How shall we live? According to God's moral principles, punctuated with grace. The Scottish, the Reformations, live on in us. 
May we continually seek a deeper walk, a deeper faith to be closer to God as we seek to live into his kingdom day by day. We gather to worship. We go forth to eat haggis. (laughs) But we bless each other first with the blessing of Aaron.